Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Quidditch is a sport played by witches and wizards in the Harry Potter book series. For those who stubbornly decide to continue living under a rock, the titular Harry Potter plays this sport, flying a magical broomstick and trying to catch a small flying golden ball with wings called a snitch. In attempting to do so, he nearly dies about a million times. Muggles, or non-magic folk in the Harry Potter universe, also play this game in the real world, sans flying broomsticks, unfortunately. One of my good friends, Clara Plutzer, is a beater for the New York University Quidditch team, and joined me to talk about how it translates from Hogwarts to New York City. You're listening to The Ocho. Are you ready to talk about Quidditch? I am so ready to talk about Quidditch. <laughs> Fantastic. Let's have you start by introducing yourself. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Clara Fletcher. I'm currently a rising junior at New York University. And right now I am treasurer of our Quidditch club. And I usually play beater. So if you know what that is, then that's the position I normally play. All right, because I was about to ask... Uh, well, I was going to start with, how did you get into Quidditch? Yeah, so I think I joined the club just as a lot of people in college joined clubs, which was at our, my school's club fest. So I was walking through a bunch of the booths looking for things to join. I was an ex-soccer athlete, so I was looking for something athletic that I could join and still be active. And then I saw this Quidditch club, and I was like, I love Harry Potter. And so I decided, you know, I'll put my name down, get on the email list, and see what happens from there. And uh, I got the email, and I went to tryouts, and the rest is history, I guess. You say tryouts. Were there a lot of people trying out? Was it a, uh, like, everyone who tries out gets in, or did you have to, like, beat out other people to play? Yeah, so our club has tryouts. Um, You just have to sign up for the email, and you can go. When I tried out, there was about... I would say 40 people, 40 other people there trying out. Um, most people who try out do make the team. We, at my school, we actually have two different teams. We have sort of a varsity team and a JV, more developmental team. Um, so if you don't make the varsity one, which is a little more competitive at tryouts, uh, most people, pretty much everyone actually, will make the junior varsity team, which we call the NYU Pigeons. Which is a really terrifying name, I must admit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're they're fierce on the field. It's great. <laughs> Those purple pigeons. Yes, yes. Of course. <laughs> so you mentioned that you play beater. Uh, I think for anyone out there who hasn't heard of Quidditch or doesn't know the sport at all, maybe you <laughs> hasn't read the books if you're still under that rock. Uh, what, oh, man. <laughs> let's, let's do a quick... Uh, can you give me a rundown of what... Well, like a brief rundown of the sport. How does it work, the, the positions? 
yeah, really putting you on definitely. the spot here. Yeah, definitely. It's a really complicated game. If you've ever seen, you know, a video of it, um, there's a lot going on on the field. So pretty much there are two or three main roles, two or three main positions. There's the beaters, the chasers, and the keeper. Um, there are three chasers, um, two beaters, and one keeper. Um, the chasers, like in the movies, are trying to get the quaffle, which is basically a glorified volleyball through three different hoops at the other end of the, at each end of the field. So the chasers are, you know, kind of like ultimate frisbee. They're throwing the quaffle around, trying to get the ball through the hoop. Pretty simple, very much like a lot of other sports in that are well, that are more well known. Um, but while all of the chasers are doing their thing, trying to get their ball through one of the three hoops, there are beaters. There are two beaters on the field for each team throwing dodgeballs, which are the bludgers per se. And they throw the dodgeballs at the chasers. And if the chasers are hit with a dodgeball, they have to drop the quaffle and go back and touch their hoops. So it's really important for the beaters and the chasers to work together. So the beaters act as like a guard for the chaser so the chaser can bring the quaffle up without getting hit by the opposing team's beaters. And I did say there were three main positions. The last one is the keeper. The keeper is basically just another chaser, but with the addition of being able to put their hand through the hoop so they can defend the hoops and maybe push a ball out that might be coming towards towards the goal. Um, if you've ever seen, if you've ever read the books of Quidditch, you know there's actually a seventh team member. This is what Harry Potter is, called the Seeker. And in this version of Quidditch, the Seeker doesn't come out until the 18th minute of the game. So for the first 18 minutes, there's only six players on the field. And then after 18 minutes, then the Seeker comes out, and he will try to catch the Snitch, which is indeed a person with a tennis ball tied to the waistband of his pants, his or her pants. And the Snitches try and wrestle the Snitch to grab the tennis ball from the waistband of the Snitch. It's quite complicated. Well, and while the, while the Snitch is doing all that, we continue to have beaters and chasers scoring points and trying to keep their team winning or ahead. Very now, complicated. on that brief synopsis of this sport, <laughs> I have so many questions already. Uh, oh my goodness, yeah. <laughs> but first, I need to mention one of our sponsors. As sports begin to return, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. With UFC, NASCAR, Formula One, and the EPL in full swing, there's no shortage of ways to get in on the action. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL Madden games, NBA 2K, and UFC happening every day for you to watch and wager on. As the MLB, NBA, NFL, and others near return, BetOnline has future odds on everything you can imagine, season win totals, division odds, and championship odds. Make sure to visit betonline.ag on your computer or mobile device to join now and receive your new welcome bonus. Now back to the interview. First off, is this obviously in real Quidditch or real Quidditch, book Quidditch, which I guess is fake Quidditch, uh, <laughs> in the original form of Quidditch, you're flying around on a broomstick. Who I, It's yeah. hard to tell scale, but in the movies, it looks like 100 feet in the air uh, and you're passing it along i if you said ultimate frisbee for chasers can they yeah. run with the quaffle with the volleyball yes that is the one difference they can run with the quaffle so you can i guess some, a really common strategy is for 
a really strong, fast chaser to just sprint towards the goal and try and get their ball through the hoops. But of course, this is a full contact sport, so the chasers can be tackled. So maybe not the best strategy if you're not super strong or bulky or um, an ex. But we get a lot of ex football players who play chasers because they're really big and strong and can just like barrel through people. But people like me, girls, smaller guys, tend to use the passing around and sort of positioning to get the ball to the hoop instead of just straight on running <laughs> towards it. Now, as a beater, uh, do you also have an opportunity to play as like a third or I guess fourth or fifth chaser? Or are you specifically, uh, you have to be the one who just throws the dodgeballs around? Yeah, so beaters cannot touch any ball except for a bludger. So they aren't allowed to touch the quaffle. So they're not, like, they can't catch it. They can't throw the quaffle. All they do is play dodgeball with the dodgeballs and try and hit the chasers on the other team. Um, beaters can also hit up the other team's beaters. So oftentimes there are what we call beater battles where all the beaters are just trying to beat each other and not really paying attention to the quaffle or the chasers. I feel like that might be counterproductive at some point if the chasers are just allowed to go wild and score as many points as they want. Yes, it's it's very counterproductive. It's not a good strategy, but if a team can um, apprehend or distract the other team's beaters, it's pretty easy for chasers to score without any beaters around. Um, my team calls this Omaha. This is our, our uh, code word for when there are no beaters on the field. Maybe the bludgers are far away where the other team doesn't have two blood or bludgers that could hit the chasers, then we say Omaha, and then the chasers will just, like I said before, they'll just what we call drive and run straight towards the hoops, and it's really hard to defend that if you don't have any beaters on your team trying to defend the charging chaser. Now, when you say Omaha, was this at all inspired by Peyton Manning, uh, his audible call? <laughs> Maybe I was initiated into the vocabulary as a freshman. I didn't really question the the reason behind the word. It just sort of, oh yeah, Omaha means you can just run straight because they don't have any beaters. Um, I'm not really sure the origin of the word. I think people just thought it it was easy to say. Um, definitely might have been a reference to Peyton Manning, though. <laughs> I would love it if it was. I love all these sports coming together: <laughs> soccer oh, yeah, players, definitely. football players, basically playing rugby <laughs> with sticks. And volleyballs yeah. and dodgeballs. Yes. <laughs> now, in real, uh, I keep saying real. I in Harry Potter, <laughs> uh, yeah. Harry Potter Quidditch, the beaters have sticks. They have bats that they have to hit the bludgers yeah. with. Uh, and obviously, the bludgers are hard, as far as I can tell. <laughs> uh, they, I think that's how Harry Potter breaks his arm in one of them. Harry Potter had yeah. a rough yeah. time playing Quidditch. Yeah, poor kid, poor kid, <laughs> a lot of injuries. <laughs> Uh, um, <laughs> do you have to use a bat or do you just throw the dodgeballs? Uh, yeah, so we don't use bats as a beater. You mainly just throw the bludger or the dodgeball at each other. Um, you can catch other dodgeballs. So if you catch them, then it's yours and you get to keep it. Um, but yeah, if you, if you touch the bludger, but you don't catch it, then you're beat. So if the ball hits your arm and hits the ground, then you're beat and you have to go back and touch your hoops. So you can't really knock it out or misdirect it in any way unless you catch it because if you drop it and it touches you, then you're beat and you have to go back. 
can the beaters attack the uh the chaser or is the cha- are the chasers just doing their own thing attack you mean like tackle or attack you mean throw the bludger at them yes yeah okay so beaters their sole purpose is to beat the chasers so they are trying to throw that dodgeball at the other team's chasers um they are not however allowed to tackle other chasers um that we leave that to the chasers tackle chasers beaters don't tackle chasers but beaters can tackle other beaters so the (laughs) (laughs) the way it works is there are four beaters right two per team but there's only three dodgeballs so there's always one person who doesn't have one and that person is trying to steal it from the other from the other team and so that happens either by the beater pair working together and maybe beating another beater so they drop their dodgeball or they can do it by just trying to literally forcibly rip the ball out of someone's hand. And that gets a little physical sometimes. This game sounds so much more violent already than the uh, fantasy world of Harry Potter. Well, never mind. Now that yes. I think about it, we already mentioned <laughs> the fact that Harry Potter got <laughs> injured several times. So There are quite a few injuries, a lot of concussions. Um, one of my friends uh, tore her ACL. Oh. Um, it's very difficult, especially since this game is co-ed you get a lot of like 200 pound guys barreling down like 120 pound girls and you know it does result in a lot of injuries especially for the smaller players so when you score a quaffle how many points do you get yeah so the quaffle you get 10 points for every time it goes through the hoop Uh, i don't know why it's not one i think that's something that they wanted to just take from the books because in the books it's 10 and so we just sort of adopted that scoring system into the the real life game. And so yeah, every time the quaffle goes through, it's ten points. And every um, time, or when you catch the snitch, that's a hundred and fifty points, if I remember correctly. Yep, it would be a hundred and fifty points in the books and the movies. Um, in real life Quidditch or this Quidditch that I play in college, it's actually only thirty points, which is a pretty Whoa. stark difference. Yeah, that is a stark difference. Books. Um, but it, I think one of the reasons it's only 30 is, so there's this thing, what we call in range. So say the score is 60 to 70, then that would be considered in range because if either team caught the snitch, they would win, or even though one team is behind at the moment. Um, so that really adds an, uh, uh, another level of strategy to the game. You know, if you're, say you're losing by 40 points, so it's, 60 to 20. If you catch the snitch, you're going to lose anyway. That's what we call a suicide catch. Um, so in that situation, you could have one of the common strategies is to have your seeker do what's called defensive seeking. That means they are standing in between the other team seeker and the snitch, help pretty much helping the snitch not be caught to give to buy their chasers more time to try and get back up to what we call in range. So then when they do catch, they can ultimately ultimately win the game. Now, who is making these calls? Is the is there a coach on the sidelines, or who's the captain? Yeah, um, so that varies by team. Uh, my team, NYU, does not have a sort of hired coach or a adult coach, if you may. We have co-captains, which are elected every year, and they are the ones who, you know, run practices. They organize... Um, all of the drills we do and they also um, act as a coach for substitution and you know strategy 
Um, as a club with the university, we also do have a president and a vice president. So the four of them working together, the president, vice president, and the two captains sort of act as this governing unit for the team, for at least for my team. And so we have, we elect one of them to be what's called a speaking coach, which means that one of those four people is the one talking to the referees. You know, they're the ones who can um, question a call made by the referees. Um, but other schools, so Boston University, for example, has a hired coach who is an actual adult person who coaches <laughs> their team. They have hired him, I believe, and he um, acts as sort of a, a non-biased person to help lead them because oftentimes when your coach is also a player, emotions get involved. It's hard to, you know, try and manage a team while you're also playing for the team. So there's a lot of different strategies that go into have, whether you want a coach or not. Uh, my team actually is currently, we want a coach. We're looking for a coach right now because we realized this past season that having your coach be a player is really just stressful and difficult and causes a lot of miscommunication. You need a real good Oliver Wood type if you're going to do that. Oliver Wood, yeah. We're looking for we're looking for Oliver Wood. So if you know where he, where he is, we'd happily call him up how do you find a quidditch coach do you find a former player or what do you look what do teams look for how basically what i'm asking is how do i get potential quidditch coach on my resume yeah so my school is current my team is currently looking at um, a lot of people who have graduated so last year we had a lot of seniors graduate that stayed in the in the city, um, still are involved in Quidditch. A lot of people, a lot of them went on to play with what we call the Warriors, like I said before, which is that um, community club team for people who graduated college. And so the Warriors are also New York City-based. And so right now we're looking for one of them um, to sort of come back and help their alma mater out and sort of offer us their advanced wisdom and knowledge about the sport. Um, but we haven't found one yet. A lot of them are busy right now, and right now we don't even know if Quidditch, if the season's going to happen, so we've sort of put a pause on that, but a lot of the conversation about finding the coach last year and this, this past spring was, you know, people who played for us, who know our team, and who are still involved in the community and the game um, at these club and higher post-college levels. So to be uh, similar with the book version of Quidditch, there is a gender maximum rule, which you alluded to just now. Yeah, uh, yes. Would you mind explaining what the gender maximum rule is? Okay, yeah. So you have to have at least two players of a gender on the field at all times. That could be four girls and two guys, but more often than, than, more often than not, you usually have four guys on the, on the field at once and two girls. And you cannot have, a, so on the field, you can't have all guys or all girls. You have to have at least two um, of the opposite one. Um, so this makes it a little complicated. So you can, a lot of times people will have a female beater and a male beater and then a female chaser and then two male chasers. So sort of one girl in each of the positions. Um, but some, but what my team often likes to do is what we call double male, which is where we have two cha two female chasers and two male beaters, um, because our strategy, the way we play, um, our beaters are the most important players on the field, and we like them to be um, 
maybe bigger, stronger guys who have stronger arms, maybe more accurate, um, maybe know the strategy a little bit better. So that sort of the dynamic of the gender is really is important in terms of, you know, the physicality differences between the genders and also just strategy, where to put people when. So with uh, obviously with the chasers you want and the beaters, you want someone who's good at throwing fast, good at passing and catching with the uh, with the seekers. What is the strategy there? Yeah, so there's a lot of different strategies a lot of teams take. I've seen teams have a really small, fast endurance runner as a seeker, or not a seeker, as a snitch. Oh my goodness, I misspoke. <laughs> but for seekers, seekers are the people trying to catch the snitch. They are oftentimes really muscly, think like ex-wrestlers, really strong guys who can just sort of wrestle the snitch to the ground and maybe pull the pull the tennis ball out from the waistband. Uh, my team has a really, um, he's at, our, our, our seeker is pretty small for our seeker. He's shorter than I am, and I'm 5'4", um, but he is so agile, so fast. He just go, runs around them, jumps over top, sneaks behind them, and gets the uh, snitch pretty much every time he's out there. Um, so, yeah, snitches or seekers really have to be agile, fast, really good at, like, body wrestling with other people who are maybe bigger than you at times. Um, yeah, I could never play speaker ever. It's all, it's so scary to me. That's really interesting. Cause I would expect the opposite. You think of when I think of a seeker, I guess my next yeah. question would be, uh, about the snitch. But when I think about the sneak, the seeker, uh, you'd think that you want someone fast, who's good at catching up to someone, but yeah. I guess I hadn't considered the fact that you could just tackle the snitch. Yeah, the reason because why our, our seekers have to be so muscly is because, as you were saying earlier, the snitch is oftentimes a really muscular guy as well. So instead of a lot of guys, you know, get tired running around for a long time trying to be just running snitch, which often, which sometimes happen. So most snitches prefer to be just stand their ground like a, I don't know, like a ox or a mule. And they just sort of push, use their arms and push on the seeker's shoulders, you know, pull them back, get low to the ground, and, like, really wrestle them to the ground, basically, so that they don't catch the snitch. Which is why our seekers then have to be, you know, equally as muscly, maybe agile, able to wrestle the snitch. And for a long time, too, a lot of times the seeker is, the snitches are not caught by the seeker for at least, I don't know, I've seen games go to, like, half an hour, and remember that the snitch comes out at 18 minutes. So that's about... 15 minutes of just wrestling. So a lot of times my team has to rotate in different seekers because they just get so tired, you know, putting all of their force and energy into trying to push this massive guy to the ground. Yeah, that's so I was going to ask with uh, in Harry Potter, it's well known that uh, the game does not end until the snitch is caught. And I believe that's the way it works in real life, I guess, too, right? Yeah, yeah, the snitch, the game does not end until the snitch is caught. However, there are every so a couple of minutes there are different restrictions that the snitch has so that the game doesn't, you know, go on forever forever. So I think it goes at like 21 minutes the snitch can only stay in one area of the field. So he's no longer allowed he or she is no longer allowed to just roam free the field. He's now co- confined to one area. 
And then it goes, you know, he can't, he can only use one hand. So he has one hand behind his back, pushing away the seekers. And then after that, you have another restriction of no hands. So he's really just turning his body, trying to make sure that they can't get the tennis ball tied to his waistband. But because of these restrictions, it makes the, it keeps the games from going on too long. And then eventually the snitch is caught by the seekers. So you're not going to have one of those, uh, I think in the, in the, books they say that the longest game ever played lasted three months yeah no that's um, um, unfortunately or i guess fortunately we don't have games that last I, I would say the normal maximum is maybe 45 minutes if it takes that long but usually it's over before 30 minutes pass because you know a lot of the seekers are very good and they just wear down the snitch too the seekers wear down and so does the snitch, but the snitch can't get a substitute. He just got—he just has to stay there, <laughs> he or she. Uh, so with when you're playing in college, I assume you mentioned that your snitch, as in the snitch that plays on your team, how do yeah. you keep it fair if the snitch is from yeah. one of the two schools? Yeah, so every school or every team has a snitch, right? So I was talking about my snitch or my team's snitch. But our snitch doesn't snitch for us. So when we go to tournaments or competitions, all of the snitches sort of rotate so that no snitch is is on the field with his or her own team. Um, so that way, we might say my school, NYU, is playing, let's say, Harvard, which is another school in our region. Um, the snitch will not be a NYU or Harvard player. It might be maybe from BU or Tufts. Um, so our snitches um, rotate between different games to ensure that there's no bias or um, anything like that going on. Okay. Uh, and I, you also kind of alluded to this, but in the uh, in the books, I know that the snitch can go literally anywhere. Somehow, magically, <laughs> it doesn't uh, just yeah. go off and never return. But yeah. the I assume the snitch isn't just allowed to run wherever it wants i can imagine someone in bright yellow clothing with a tennis ball on their waistband just running through downtown new york yeah fun story so usq or the uh organization that created quidditch initially the rule was the snitch could go anywhere so i've heard stories of a snitch you know taking the lexington avenue subway up to a pizza <laughs> joint getting a pizza coming back down to the game and just being like Oh, 20 minutes has passed. Maybe I should go back and actually, you know, do my job. Um, <laughs> but since I came to college, they have gotten rid of that and made it so the snitch is no longer allowed to do that. I think that's unfortunate because I think it would be hilarious to see a snitch, you know, go down, get a pretzel and come back. I'm 100% um, with you. I would love not only <laughs> to be a spectator at that game and just watch the snitch leave and not yeah, come no, back for like an hilarious. hour. It sounds hilarious. I would... I'm so upset they got rid of it. But yeah, now the snitch is only allowed to stay on the field, unfortunately. But that way, you know, it makes it him easier to get caught, him or her. Also, imagine just being a bystander and sitting on the subway yeah. and this person in bright yellow, sweaty, gets on the subway. And then, like, what do you think? Of the, I mean, I guess it's New York, so you can't really be too surprised about just someone or wearing bright, what, bright also, yellow. Also, just... Imagine the snitch chilling on a train, and then two cars down, you see people on brooms chasing through the cars looking for him. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. 
I would feel like I was in one of those, uh, like there has to be a hidden camera somewhere. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I wish. Speaking of brooms, what are the uh, what are the rules on brooms? Because they aren't actual brooms; they don't have the uh, yeah. I, what would you call the sweeping part of a broom? A broom head? The, bristles, the, the sweeping part. The I don't bristles. Know. <laughs> the, yeah. So another yeah. old Quidditch rule, I think they used to use real broomsticks, like wooden with the bristles at the end. Really old school. Good um, Nimbus 2000. Since then, they have gotten rid of that, and the brooms are, I would say, three feet long PVC pipes that are about one inch in diameter, and you have to keep it in between your legs at all times. If you drop it, if it hits the ground, or if you, what we call, come off broom, which is where it gets either is pull, pulled out from under you, or you're tackled and you somehow manage to get off broom, which happens a lot. Then you must go back and touch your goalpost, um, and then get. Then you can remount, is what we call it, and get back on your broom and go back and continue to play. So there's no surfing on the broom like Harry does before he dives for the snitch. Hmm. I feel like if you could find a way to surf on it, but keep it between your legs, that would work. Hmm. Um. But then you wouldn't really be able to run because you'd be standing on it, you know. So I feel like. As much fun as surfing is on brooms, I feel like tactically and practically it wouldn't really, you know, work. And that's why rules always have to be keeping you down. Yeah, I mean... Uh, if only bummer. the world was magic. It would be so much <laughs> <I> better. <wish. laughs> so, you mentioned that uh, you joined the team because you really liked Harry Potter. You knew about Quidditch. Do players... Would you say, I would assume the majority of players have either read the books or watched the movies. Is it mm -hmm. more of one or the other? It, have you ever met a Quidditch player that's done neither? Um. Yeah, so the people who are drawn to Quidditch are really interesting to think about. So you get the people <laughs> like me. You get the people like me who, I've read all the Harry Potter books, watched all the movies, have, had already been a huge fan knew that it was a real sport, kind of, but really wanted to, was interested in just the idea of it. Um, and then, But then we also have people, so there are people on my team who have not watched the movie or read the books, and these people are often, you know, ex-athletes, so we get a lot of lacrosse, football, basketball players, who just really, who didn't want to do varsity sports in college, but still really wanted that, you know, physicality, team mentality. Um, so these people, you know, maybe at our club fest, we have videos of Quidditch playing so people can sort of see what it looks like as they're walking by. And sometimes we do get people who just watch the video and look and think, wow, that looks really physical and demanding. And, you know, I want to do that. I don't know what it is. I've never seen Harry Potter, not a Harry Potter fan even. I just really want that, you know, team, team bonding and team mentality and the physicalness and the running. It really attracts a wide variety of people. The problem with the reason that I started this podcast is because whenever I learn about niche sports, I always <laughs> immediately want to start playing them. Like I really yeah, want to go yeah. try Quidditch now. But yeah. so do you think that a lot of the or is there ever a moment where like in soccer or basketball, uh, have you ever heard a I wanted to be Harry Potter this time, 
like I want to be Michael Jordan or I wanted to be Cristiano Ronaldo. Do people have jerseys for their favorite <laughs> Harry Potter uh like fictional Quidditch player? Yeah, um not so much. Um we kind of as a community we we are well aware that we you know are associated with the books and the fandom and the movies. Um but we don't really compare our sport to the the movie sport or the book sport just because it is like we've been talking about so different than what the books describe it as. So, but oftentimes we do so Quidditch is a relatively new sport or new club that's sort of just beginning to take off in the college and no pun intended college world so there is such a thing as the we do have a u.s national quidditch team (laughs) um that it's a real thing i don't know who they play but i'm i know they exist um well they have to play the english national team i mean they're the (laughs) that's the team that harry potter would play for you're right you're right i'll bet they play the, the english people um, but they're sort of, I think, who a lot of people in college kind of look up to. Um, I personally know um, one person on the national team right now, not very well, but she's still someone that, you know, I look up to just as a, you know, athlete and as a person who's, you know, finished college and still was playing Quidditch after college and really is so good at it as well. So I think instead of, you know, aspiring to be Harry Potter, we have a lot of people you know, aspiring, aspiring to maybe join the national team or join a club team or something like that after college. And who is this person that you know on the national team? Um, I don't know her last name, but her name is Lindsay. She plays for the Warriors, I believe. And the Warriors are sort of the club-based um, New York City team. Um, so all we've been talking about right now is college quidditch, but... You know, once those first people graduated from college playing Quidditch, they didn't want to stop. So they formed this club college division called MLQ, Major League Quidditch, I believe. And these are club teams, all people graduated from college who, you know, still wanted to play. They still go to the nationals that we go to, still go to regionals. Um, and then some members of these club teams are on the national team. And there's this one girl, I think her name is Lindsay, and she is on the Warriors, and I see her at our practices because my NYU Quidditch and the Warriors, we often have a lot of overlap, people graduating my school and going on to that club team. Um, so they're sort of like the big brothers, I guess, of our team, the people that are mentors, the people we look up to. And one of those girls is, I believe, on the national team. That's um, awesome. I wish I knew her last name, but yeah. The I looked up Major League Quidditch a little bit. I was talking to you about this earlier, uh, and I've already decided my team is always the Boston team because that's where my family is from. Uh, the Boston yeah. Knight Riders are my team. I have no idea who plays for them except for my new official player, Michael Soup Shinavi, because I the only player that I could find with a nickname. His nickname is Soup, and I want to know the I want to know why. I love I'm Soup. I'm sure you could find out why very easily just you know uh michael hit me up let me know or sorry soup uh, yeah a lot of the quidditch community is on facebook we use facebook pages and groups to sort of uh have information posted about the community um so i'm sure you could go on there um there's this facebook page you could probably look it up it's called aqd american quidditch discussion i'm in it a lot of people on my team are on it and it's sort of where 
uh, any player, anyone can post anything about the Quidditch world. Um, anything from, you know, what do we do about gender non-conforming players to, hey, did you catch that game last night? It was super cool. <laughs> so um, it's a wide range of people and a wide range of discussions. But um, I highly recommend looking into that for more you know, information on just what's going on. And maybe you could find your Boston player on there. Awesome. I hope, I really hope he's on there because I will definitely talk to him. <laughs> uh, I want to know some of your life highlights playing Quidditch. Either life things highlights. that you've done or things that you've seen. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, one of the things that I was super, you know, proud of and super memorable for me was when I was a freshman and I tried out for Quidditch, I was the only freshman to make it on the varsity team. Nice. Um, I was really excited about that. Um, I was really nervous going into the tryouts. had no idea what I was doing, but I guess they saw something in me, some spark of joy. I'm not really sure. but Some magic, um, you was, might say. Yeah, some magic even. But I was able to make it on the, on the varsity team, which is at my school called NYU Thunder. And I was able to, in April, travel to our national tournament, nationals tournament, which was um, in Austin, Texas. So that was sort of my first introduction to, you know, college sports and college traveling with the team. And uh, that whole trip was just so memorable for me in so many ways. We made it to the final four in the country, um, losing to California, Berkeley, I believe. Um, but just being in that environment and seeing all of these seniors and upperclassmen get so passionate for the sport. We got, when we beat UMD, Maryland, um, everyone was so excited. The energy I, that I had missed from high school sports was just somehow still there, something that I didn't think I would ever get in college. So I think that was one of my major highlights um, in my college career. And I would say the other one would be my first goal that I scored in an actual Quidditch game. Um, like I said, I am a beater by... I started out as a beater, but a lot of times we sort of switch positions based on gender. Maybe you need an extra girl to go in or something like that. So one of the times that I was in as a chaser, which is the people who try and score the quaffle in the hoops, I just remember um, a good strategy for girls or small girls and as chasers is what we like to call the cherry pickers, which is exactly as it sounds. You just stand by one of the ed one of the hoops at the end. And you sort of stand there, and someone passes it to you, and you can go, whoop, and put it right in. <laughs> um, and so that's what I did, and it was a game against Tufts University. And, oh, my gosh, everyone was cheering my name. I felt so happy. I was so proud of myself. Because I think this was last year also, so I had gone a full year not scoring anything, not really feeling like I was contributing anything. And then I scored that goal, and I was like, yes, I have done something important. I got our team up a point. And that, so was that was the really moment you became officially a, a collegiate athlete. Yeah, no, definitely. It was crazy. Uh, uh, just I, Whenever I did something good from then on, I just felt exactly like I felt playing high school soccer, you know, just feeling like I was a part of something bigger than myself, and I had done something that people liked, and I had supported and helped my team, you know, get to a victory, which was awesome. So going back to... Uh, fake slash original quidditch uh <laughs> yeah. if you were in the harry potter universe we're gonna get real nerdy now uh okay, what awesome. house would you be in what would the sorting hat 
which house would the sorting hat put you in? Which house? Oh my goodness. I have indeed, as a really religious Harry Potter nerd and <laughs> fanatic, I have indeed taken the Pottermore uh, sorting sorting test. And I am, you know, what, I don't know if you'd expect this, uh, Tommy, but I am indeed uh, a Ravenclaw. I was so, going to say either Ravenclaw or Gryffindor were the, my two guesses. Yeah, I'm a solid Ravenclaw. Knowledge, wisdom, that's all me. <laughs> <laughs> I approve. Uh, and so was your favorite Quidditch player in the books from uh, from Ravenclaw? No, actually, uh, surprisingly, my favorite Quidditch player was, what's his name? The guy who died, Cedric. Didn't he play Quidditch? Yes, yeah, Cedric, Cedric Diggory. Diggory. I believe he was a seeker, wasn't he? Or was he a captain? I don't know what he was, but teenage me just thought he was really attractive. <laughs> well, it's because... He was my favorite player. It's because he also played uh, uh, Robert Pattinson. Wasn't it Robert Pattinson who played oh, Cedric yeah. Diggory? Oh, yeah. He, he was in Twilight, right? Yeah. 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 He was not Jacob, the other one. I don't know what the other... I was never a Twilight person, but yeah. <laughs> He's the vampire boy that sparkles. Oh, yeah. So attractive. Definitely my favorite Quidditch player in the Harry Potter world. <laughs> I never had a favorite Quidditch player. My favorite Quidditch person was Lee Jordan, the uh, Quidditch announcer. The announcer, the announcer, yeah. I always wanted to be the announcer. I thought that would be such a cool job. That totally fits your personality as a someone who's starting a podcast right now. <laughs> well, that and has a degree in broadcasting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, so, we talked about the MLQ. Do you have any future plans on joining the pro scene? <laughs> uh, I, they're extremely intimidating to me. And <laughs> I don't think I have the commitment to the sport enough that I would ever want to come back as an MLQ or club community professional Quidditch player. Um, especially, I, I don't know, I like having my team. I love representing my school. I did it all through high school and middle school. I think it's really um, humbling to have a jersey with the name of a school on it. And so I don't think I would want to continue just playing for a club team because I don't feel that same sense of, you know, identity and belonging as I do right now as a, as a college player. That's understandable. Um, but that could, all, that could all change. I don't know. Next year, if I really feel the passion, passionate about the sport and don't want to leave it, um, maybe I would. But to me, I'm in Quidditch not because I love the sport, even though I do. The main reason I'm, I'm, I'm still in Quidditch is because of the people and hanging out with some really awesome people and just talking about, you know, anything. Um, I really made a lot of great friends through this club. And that's really what I'm taking away from it. Awesome. Uh, is there anything, what was the most surprising thing about playing Quidditch in real life? Um, I think the most surprising thing for me was honestly just watching the snitch and seeker like relationship. I, whenever the snitch comes out at 18 minutes, I completely ignore all of the chasers and the beaters. And I just really enjoy watching the wrestling match. I think it's so difficult, and I can't believe that it actually works, and they're actually able to get the tennis ball out off of that guy's weight or girls off of their waistband and win the game. I, when I was a freshman, I at tryouts, I had no idea how the snitch and how the snitch worked. I was just 
sort of really clueless and confused. But then I watched it for the first time and I was like, this is so cool. Oh my gosh, that's so smart. And yeah, I think that's what really surprised me the most about the game. I forgot to mention earlier or ask the question, why 18 minutes? Good question. I think, I'm not sure actually, to be completely honest. Um, I think they chose it as sort of a nice middle number between when people get super exhausted and how long a game they they how long they wanted the games to be. Um, but yeah, I have no idea why it's 18 minutes. Why that's when the Snitch comes out. Um, I think it's just to regulate game time, but I don't know why it's 18 instead of 17 or instead of 19. Or like a um, roundish number, like 20 or 15. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, something that makes sense like that. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's just Quidditch being Quidditch. Call things Quaffles yeah, and you know, Bludgers. Bludger yeah, makes more sense wacky. than Quaffle. Quaffle is just a made-up word. Blood, like bludgeoning makes sense. Yeah, I have no idea why J.K. Rowling called it a Quaffle. I guess it just sounds really cool. <laughs> Probably really got into the the Q at the beginning. and Quidditch, got, Quaffle. Quidditch, Quaffle, <laughs> and then lost it from there because... Q. Yeah. <laughs> you can't go too far with Q. Yeah. Words with Q are just weird, as I'm sure you know. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, is there anything else that you have that I haven't asked you that you would like to mention about Quidditch? Um, the only thing I can say is sort of a, a promotion for my own sport. Uh, definitely check out a Quidditch team. I know Penn State has a Quidditch team. I've seen them play. They're not very good, but you should definitely join <laughs> the great club. Um, I highly recommend, you know, stepping out of your comfort zone and really giving it a chance because I think the people that you meet and the community that you join, it's just the tip of the iceberg, what I'm talking about here today. The community goes way deeper than I could ever, you know, understand completely. And everyone is sort of learning as they're going because it is, as I said, a relatively new sport. There's always something to learn someone to talk to about the, the game or the community and it's just a really i don't know great way to be a college athlete but still have you know time on your hands to do schoolwork. i think if there's one thing i've noticed it's that if you play a niche sport the community is so much stronger because you're all in a kind of a weird situation together where everybody is yeah, like yeah. that's not a real there's, sport and then only you all know yeah, the bond of always having to answer the same questions about this crazy sport that you play and just sort of acknowledging how crazy it is and accepting like that it is what it is and it should, you shouldn't apologize for ma for trying to explain it and failing because it's so complicated. That's just <laughs> what it is and it's really cool to just accept it and you know learn about it and try your best at playing it. Well, I apologize for asking you the same questions one more time. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. I love answering the question. Every time I answer it, I get a little bit better and more coherent answering it. So it's good practice. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you so much for doing this. I'm excited to see what other cool sports, niche sports you find. So, oh, really trust awesome. me, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll do it. Thank you so much for listening to this first episode of The Ocho, brought to you by the Armchair Media Network. My name is Tommy Butler. You can find me on the internet at Butler on the Air. And 
do check out what Claire said about all those different places to look up Quidditch, Route 4, NYU, if you can find it in your heart, or the Boston Knight Riders, if you are a fan all of a sudden, like I am. There are several other teams in the uh, MLQ that you can look up to see who your hometown Quidditch team is. And other than that, subscribe to The Ocho wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll be back with more niche sports. I'll talk to you then.